Podcastle, episode 382, for September 22, 2015, of Blood and Brine, by Megan E. O'Keefe, rated PG. Hello folks, it's us again, your friends at Podcastle, here to bedazzle your senses with another trip into worlds of other. But just before we go, a few announcements. David Steffen is a long-time friend of escape artists, and he has a pretty awesome Kickstarter brewing. It's called The Long List Anthology. It's to celebrate short fiction from the Hugo Awards' longer list of nominated works chosen by Hugo voters. The base funding goal will include stories from the short story category only, that's stories of 7,500 words or less. Stretch goals will expand the anthology to include novelettes and then novellas. While there's definitely ebooks involved, as in you'll have something to read, there's also narrations involved, so you'll have something to listen to. For the full list of rewards and goals, do please check out the project. Go to Kickstarter and search for Long List. And a link will be in the show notes. You have until the 5th of October 2015 to get involved. Next, I want to mention Artemis Rising again. As we did this year, in 2016, escape artists will celebrate Artemis Rising, a special month-long event across all three Escape Artists podcasts, featuring stories by some of the best female and non-binary authors in genre fiction. Podcastle is now open for submissions for the entire month of September 2015. Who can submit? Anyone who identifies as a woman to whatever degree that they do. Non-binary authors are also welcome and encouraged to submit. Send us your best fantasy fiction between two and 6,000 words. For more information, please visit podcastle.org and get writing. You've only about eight days left. And finally, a very specific call for narrators. We're looking for narrators who are Kenyan or Kenyan-Asian. Just to be really clear, we're not looking for people who can do a Kenyan accent. We are looking for narrators who actually are Kenyan or Kenyan-Asian. If that's you, or if you know of someone who fits that bill, we'd love to hear from you. Please do get in contact with us at editor at podcastle.org. So now, are you ready to travel? Great. On with the show. Today, Podcastle is proud to present Of Blood and Brine by Megan E. O'Keefe. It was first published in Shimmer magazine in January 2015. Megan writes speculative fiction and makes soap for a living. Um, it's only a little like Fight Club. Her debut novel, Steal the Sky, which centres around an airship heist, is due out from Angry Robot Books in January 2016. Visit her website at meganokeefe.com or communicate with her via cat pictures on Twitter at Megan of Blushy. Your narrator for this story is Jackie Duckworth. Jackie is a Bay Area actress, teaching artist, and director of just about anything from Shakespeare to sketch comedy. She has one child in college and another starting next year and looks forward to embracing poverty with a plucky resourcefulness. 
Links will be in the show notes. But now, concentrate on the aromas, the scents about you, and enjoy the story. Of Blood and Brine by Megan E. O'Keefe Child's mistress was out when the scentless woman entered the shop and laid a strip of severed cloth upon the counter. For once, Child wished her mistress were at her side. May I help you? Child asked around a clot of fear. Make me a vial of this perfume, Scentless said, her voice honey-sweet though her silage was hollow, and another exactly the same, but with the tiniest hint of the sea. Child squinted, desperate to find a hint of the woman's identity beneath the netting she wore across her green-brown eyes. Scentless had foregone the usual patterns women painted around their eyes. Her face was a bare mask. Unease dampened the palms of Child's hands. The woman was old enough to have passed her naming day, but no matter how Child flared her nostrils and breathed, she could not scent the woman's name. Scentless wore the wrap all named men and women wore, covered hair to toe in thin black fabric to protect her skin from the poison of the sun's red glare. The cloth of her wrap had a subtle sheen, the fabric so smooth child could not even see the weave. She must be wealthy. The slender arc of her cheekbones rose just above the bottom of netting, hinting that she was beautiful. And yet the woman wore no scent. She was nameless. Even the dead smell, child thought, then shook herself. This was business. Whatever had urged this woman to go out into the world without a name was none of her concern. Forcing the pleasant shopkeeper smile her mistress had taught her, child made a show of rinsing her hands in clean water, then scrubbing them with salt and rinsing them again. She dried her hands on a fine, fresh rag and held them up for scentless's inspection. The woman leaned forward, sniffed the air, and nodded her approval. Thus prepared, child gathered the cloth into her hands and brought it as close to her nose as she dared. The aroma was warm, spice-tinged, cardamom and violet, with the faintest whiff of balsam. The sea would be a pleasant addition to such a scent, but child had no idea how to blend such an aroma. I can recreate this by evening, child said, but the addition of the sea will take time. There is no single oil for such a scent. Scentless inclined her head, the supple fabric of her wrap hissing softly as the folds brushed against each other. I will need it by the full moon, she said, and laid a rope of silver upon the counter alongside the cloth. Child's throat clenched. Such a sum was no small thing to turn one's nose up at, even if the deadline was nigh impossible. Not daring to touch the silver lest she spoil the cleanliness of her hands, child folded the cloth and set it aside, then took up a slip of paper and a grease pencil. She breathed deep, settling the butterflies fighting to escape through her lips. Forgive my asking, but what is your name? I cannot smell it on you. The woman's eyes crinkled at the corners, whether in amusement or anger, child could not tell. I wear none. Put what you'd like on your paper. 
I will return in three days to check upon your progress. I will bring you a gold rope if you finish in time. She pressed black-gloved hands together and bowed deep, and then turned and stepped from the shop back into the hot red eye of the sun's regard. Child stared at the paper, stunned. A whole gold rope, enough to buy her own wrap, her own name. Chewing her lips, she wrote, Scentless. Then crossed it out over and over again until the name was little more than a black square. Her mistress had not been here. She did not need to know. Heart hammering, child filled in the square until it was black as coal. Beneath it, she began to make notes on what she had smelled in the cloth. Ivy beneath cedar returned that evening with wine so rich on her breath, child scarcely scented her arrival. She staggered a step, then slung herself into a creaking chair in their workshop, squinting eyes veined with red spiderwebs at her. Child tensed, turning on her stool so that her back guarded her work and laid her palm flat over Scentless's receipt. You're working late, her mistress slurred. We had a new client today, a wealthy one. Hesitantly, Child pulled the length of silver from the pocket of her apron. Ivy beneath Cedar's eyes sparked beneath the netting of her wrap, reflecting the glitter of the lantern light against the precious metal. What does she want for so much? Her mistress scoffed. To change her name? Cardamom over violet, centered with balsam, child added in a rush. Two vials. Well, her mistress heaved herself to her feet and took the length of silver from her. That is a simple enough task for you. If you make her happy, we might use some of this for your own naming day. You're meant to take the wrap in what? A month? Two? Four weeks, child said, unable to keep a flush from creeping across her cheeks. Right. Good girl. Ivy beneath cedar gave her a thick-handed pat on the shoulder. She straightened, brushed the rumpled folds of her wrap smooth, and then stumbled through the back door toward her bedchamber, humming an uneven tune all the while. Child's small fists clenched. She was no fool. There would be no silver left for her by the time her naming day came. Ivy beneath cedar would drink every last sliver away. But the gold rope, that she could use. Child smoothed the wrinkles her sweating palm had left on Sentness's receipt and returned to her work, fingers dancing amongst warm amber bottles lit by the glow of her oil lamp. She didn't dare burn candles. Tallow and beeswax were too strong of scent, they would muddy her work, and she needed clarity now if she were going to distill the sea. Child walked the edge of the cold shore, bare feet sinking in rough sand. The red glare of the sun cast the pale beige granules in eerie pink light as if blood had spilled across them and then diluted by the waves. Beak-pecked carcasses of sea creatures lay along her path, their poisonous flesh bulbous with tumors, even after those few birds who could stomach them had picked them over. Why anyone would desire to smell like those wretched waters, child could not guess. The beach was empty, as it always was, save for a small group of mourning. They bundled their dead, 
two or three she could not tell, onto a floating bier, set light the wooden slats, and shoved it out to sea. Child caught her breath, anger tightening her fists as flames licked up around the bier, revealing the wraps the dead had been sent to their rest within. Such a waste. But then, they had earned them. It was their right. She turned upwind to avoid the smoke and breathed deep of the air, closed her eyes and flared her nostrils. At the base of the scent of the sea was the brittle bark of the trees which ringed it, warm, dry. Overlaid with the overwhelming crush of the water itself, a cool, menthol-middled mingled with the wet vegetal aroma of aquatic plant life. But there was something else above it all, something that took those two meager elements and made them say, see. There was brine, metallic iron, and the air itself, crisp as if lightning had just struck. Both aromas too ephemeral to bottle. She sighed, opened her eyes, and kicked clumps of sand tangled with rotted seaweed. The cardamom over violet she had already made she clutched tight in her pocket, warming the hard glass with her palm. Ivy beneath Cedar's workshop was not suitable to this task. She did not have the ingredients required. Child extended a finger in her pocket, felt the small thread of copper she kept hidden there, her week's meager pay. She could buy a new fragrant oil or resin. And then, with the gold rope, she could start her own shop, blend her own name. The market awnings of the city Bahat were dyed green, but in the high light of noon, the tops of them turned brown under the red light. Child blended amongst the crowd as best she could, but she was tall for her age and that made her difficult to miss. She drew stares, the people of Bahat wondering just what a girl her age was doing unnamed and without her wrap. Child paused, glancing at the backs of her hands. Even under the shade of her hat, the sun's glare took its toll. Her skin, nearly 14 summers old, was already dried and cracked as an ancient lake bed. Soon it would be dangerous to go without. Soon, the cracks in her skin would begin weeping dark fluids, and no emollient salve would hold the spread of the sun sickness at bay. Ivy beneath cedar wouldn't care. Apprentices were easy enough to come by. The justice of Bahat would see no harm done. Those who failed to earn enough to purchase their own wraps before the sickness took them were considered useless. Just another mouth to feed from the scorched soil. Child swallowed, shook her head. No, she would capture the sea. She would claim the scentless woman's golden rope. Embarrassment blushed her cheeks, added haste to her steps. She wove amongst the hundreds of other men and women of the market, catching hints of their names as she slipped between them. A blunt name struck her, without nuance, without balance. Myrrh under clove, or was it over? She couldn't tell. The dominant notes had been blended in equal measure. The heady scents competed with one another for dominance, bludgeoning her senses. Curiosity lifted her head and she turned, following her nose. A male silhouette, familiar enough to tickle the back of her mind, stood beside a market stall, weighing a bottle in his hand. The man paid for the bottle and set it in his basket, a basket she recognized. That man, no, 
That boy was Lemon over Neroli's apprentice. Not even twelve summers, and he was already named. Poorly, but named and shielded from the sun nonetheless. Child hunched her shoulders and hurried toward another merchant, eager to prove her own worth. The first stall she came to was filled with the usual base notes, sandalwood and patchouli, white musk and dark. She moved on, systematically sniffing every single offering until her nose went numb and she was forced to rest. Child lingered near the stall of a kaffa maker so that the bitter bright aroma of his roasted beans would refresh her senses. At the shop, her mistress kept a platter of the beans for cleansing the nasal palate, but she hadn't dared bring them with her. Ivy beneath cedar would suspect her of stealing before borrowing. While child rested, a tall woman approached and purchased kaffa, her voice sweet and her eye makeup elaborate. Whirls of black danced like eddies of wind around her lashes. As she turned to leave, a breeze ruffled her wrap, blowing her scent towards child's overtired nose. Balsam, violet, cardamom. Child stiffened, sniffed the air once more to be certain. The woman drifted back into the crowd, nursing her kaffa. Entranced, child followed. Cardamom over violet led her out of the market and into wider, half-empty streets until they were climbing up winding ways and skirting the fences of homes bigger than any shop child had ever seen. Strange gardens grew beyond those gates, inedible plants that thrived under the harsh light, their huge leaves drooping between forbidding iron. Child attempted to slow, to blend into those lingering, but her clothes were too filthy and her feet dribbled ocean sand with each step. She did not belong here. She did not even have a wrap to obscure that fact. Cardamom over Violet turned into one of those iron gates, the trailing edge of her wrap disappearing amongst vibrant greens. Child hesitated, then took a few quick steps forward, hoping to catch sight of some small clue or just another sniff, just to be sure. Fingers wrapped around her arm, vice tight, and yanked her into the greenery. She stumbled, tripped, tried to wrench away on instinct, but her other arm was grabbed and pinned to her side, Cardamom over Violet peered at her through her wrap's obscuring eye net, her eyes a familiar green-brown, child stilled in her grasp. "'Why are you following me?' the woman asked, and though her voice was sweet, it was not the honeyed tones child remembered from Scentless. "'I thought I knew your scent, Cardamom over Violet. Please forgive me, I was mistaken.' The woman released her and leaned back, pressing her back against the gate." Relief flooded the woman's posture. A slump came to her shoulders. No, forgive me for grabbing you. Child, I'm on edge. Child eased forward a half step. Are you well? Cardamom over Violet's head jerked forward. Her shoulders squared. I am fine, only grieving. The spirit of my sister... She broke off, shook her head. Never mind, I'm a silly mad woman. Child licked her lips, clenched her fist around the vial in her pocket. Maybe it was your sister's scent I recognized. Impossible, the woman snapped. My sister drowned in the sea. An accident. Now go, she pointed. Back to your world, little one.
Child crossed Pahat in a haze, unable to peel her fingers from the vial. Cardamom over Violet's scent had been correct. She was certain of it. Her nose never lied to her, even if it was tired from a day of blending. As she pushed her way free of the market press, she caught a whiff of something, clean and sharp, like the rain around lightning, like the air above the sea. She froze, turned slowly, found the aroma turned with her. Shaking herself, leaves fell from her hat, their vibrant green bruised deep where they had been crushed against her. Leaves from cardamom over Violet's garden. Before they could be trod upon, she scooped them up, gathered them up near her nose and breathed deep. Yes, that was it. That was the scent of the air above sea. Now she would just need the brine, the iron. Regret panged through her, bitter and queasy. Regret because she had already made her choice, already knew what she must do to survive. She drew a deep breath to steady her nerves. Every good perfumer knew where to find the scent of iron. She glanced at the angle of the rusted sun, saw it seeping down into dusk. Ivy beneath cedar would be out by now, drinking away her silver. And Child had her own key to the shop. Scentless came in the next morning. Her wrap was the same fine weave, the same loose fit. Her eyes bore no marks, but shone green-brown down at the child, a green-brown that was familiar to her now. Peering through the shadow of Sentness's eye net, she followed the partial line of a cheekbone, marked the edge of the top of her nose. More than sisters, twins. Child's fingers trembled as she sat the first vial upon the counter, nudged it forward, she had not bothered to set the wax on the cork with the seal of the shop. She wanted no link between the two. Here is cardamom over violet, she said, and watched the corner of the woman's eyes twitch with subtle recognition. And the other? The woman asked. Taking a deep breath, child set a second vial upon the counter. It was a sliver less full than the first, its cork also unwaxed. It is unfinished. Sentinel said, her voice as dulcet as ever. I need to know two things first. Child willed strength into her voice, heard it crack anyway. Ask, she said, a lilt of curiosity creeping through. First, will you pay me the gold? Sentinel pulled a rope of glittering gold from within the folds of her wrap and laid it upon the counter with deliberate care. She took her hand back leaving the gold, a promise. Child nodded, cleared her throat. Second, did you drown in the sea? The woman's eyes narrowed, and she gave a slight shake of her head. No, I was drowned in the sea. Give me your hand, Child said, as she uncorked the unfinished bottle and slid it forward. Sentless hesitated just a breath, then held her wrapped hand above it. Child grasped it in her own, felt the lush weave of the fabric, softer than any silk. She pricked the woman's finger with a fine needle. Sentless sucked air through her teeth, but did not flinch. Child squeezed drops through the cloth into the bottle, drops that were not red. One, 
two. The deep teal ichor was slow, viscous. Child whisked the bottle away and gave the woman her hand back, then stirred the mixture with the needle, sniffed. Metallic brine tingled her nose, mingling with the fresh air aroma of the leaves. It would not last. The ichor would decay and lose its scent, but Child suspected it would last for as long as the woman needed. She corked the vial and still did not bother to wax it. Sentness gathered both, bowed her thanks, and turned to leave. Wait, Child blurted as she blushed. As the woman glanced back, one thick brow raised, What will you do? This, she held up cardamom over violet, will be for me. And this, she held up the other, is for the sister who squats in my home. Long after Sentness had gone, Child closed the shop and stepped under the red light of the sun's regard, gold rope heavy in her pocket. In one hand, she clutched a new vial, its wax stamped with a sigil of her own making. She held it to the bloodied light, the contents sloshing slow and viscous within their confines. It smelled of air and earth, of sand underfoot and rain threatening above of a storm about to break, a fitting name to start a new life in a new city, far away from the nameless child who had blended a killer's end. Ozone over fern turned toward the market. She was going to need a wrap before she could buy a workshop of her own. And welcome back. Now, it's pretty much a given that smells and scents are hugely evocative, whether they bring back memories or just bring pleasure to the moment. Some of my own favourites are cooking smells, the fresh sharpness of spring onions, the delightfully homey aroma of fresh-baked bread, the richness of coffee. Um, I like food a lot. Or there's the very particular mix on a warm spring day, which is coming up in my part of the world. A mingling of freshly cut grass, eucalyptus, and possibly the faint tang of a barbecue. But here we have a society where their very being is defined by a particular mingling of essences. Not sure how long I'd last there. I don't think my sense of smell is very acute. I guess it would develop. And what would my scent be? goodness. Nope, can't say. And now that special fragrance created for scentless by child, what was its purpose? I don't think I've made up my mind about it. I can think of several interpretations, but what do you think? Do come and join the conversation at forum.escapeartists.net and let us know. And speaking of what you think, let's look at what folks said about episode 372. The Character of the Hound, by Tony Pye. It was read to you by John Chu. Those who commented really liked this one, although some had trouble keeping track of the names. Moog said, I really like this one. I prefer plot-driven stories myself, so getting a little crime drama to go with interesting concepts was a real bonus. And Myrielana said, 
It all came together by the end, and I enjoyed the twist. I loved the world building. The tattoo system was fascinating. How the characters could be broken down into their individual meanings to summon a spirit. It was a wonderful use of the intricacies of Chinese lettering. But, of course, there was more discussion than that, which you can see for yourself over at the forums. Well, that was our show for this week. On behalf of everyone at Podcastle, including our tireless forum mods, Talia and Ossicat, thanks for stopping by and sharing with us in listening to the story. We'll be back next week with another. Until then, this is your host, Graham Dunlop, reminding you that every good perfumer knows where to find the scent of iron. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated. It's released under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivative license. Share it, but don't change or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find out more about them at their website, www.shiva-in-exile.de. Now folks, Podcastle could not be without the generosity of our donors. If you already donate, thank you so very much. It's through your generosity that we pay our server costs and our authors. If you don't, you know you can support us from as little as $2 a month. That is less than half a grande bucket of sugary milk from Starbucks. They don't really sell coffee, you know. Regular donations help immensely. Or try a one-time donation. Either way, you can donate at the Podcastle website. Go to podcastle.org and find the Support Us section down the right-hand side. If you can't donate, and for heaven's sake, you cannot turn around these days without somebody having their hand out, we do completely understand. You can help by telling others about our proud flying castle, write about us on your blog, mention us on Facebook or Twitter, leave us a five-star review in iTunes. We thank you. Helen Keller said, Smell is a potent wizard that transports you across thousands of miles and all the years you have lived.